Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. Ho, ho, hot weather. This Christmas, we're flying south for the winter and simply having a tropical Christmas time. We'll be lighting up our palm trees and watching three Christmas films set in warm climates. This Christmas, Starstruck, and We're No Angels. We'll also be sharing recipes for holiday cocktails that will have you making sand angels on the beach. Helping us put the cocoa in our coconut are the most festive film critics in Holly Jollywood, hosts of Linoleum Knife, a podcast of the cinema, Dave White and Alonzo Duraldi. Happy holidays, Dave and Alonzo. Welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, it's so lovely to be here. It's always wonderful to be with y'all. It's finally Christmas. And you both grew up in areas, correct me if I'm wrong, that are warmer than most. During Christmas. They've got a few white Christmases in there. I bounced all around the United States as a child, but I was born in New England. I've got snow in my DNA. And every year for the past 24 years of living in Los Angeles, as much as I love Los Angeles, I feel every year a twinge of, I wish there could be that. Not to say that we don't get cold weather here. We often do, even in December. But yeah, I do wish for cold weather more often than not when December rolls around. This is the warmest climate I've ever lived in. I live in Texas where it's super hot in the summer, but you could always count on it being pretty cold in the winter because it's North Texas. There will be no snow here today. You're going to have to <laughs> send your wish to Santa because we are yeah. on the beach for today's episode, but we are celebrating Christmas there. And we're really excited to discuss the films that y'all recommended. But before we dive into those, let's check in with what's making us feel cozy this Christmas. I'm going to throw it to Jillian. What's making you feel cozy this Christmas? Folks, a Christmas star is Boren. Milo Walton, (laughs) a six-year-old boy from Britain, has won over hearts, mine included, with his enthusiasm over his role in his school's nativity play. Milo's mom recorded the moment in which Milo excitedly announces, guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic one. His mom proceeds to exhaust the list of obvious choices, Joseph, one of the wise men, before she gives up. And Milo, who has been on the edge of his seat the entire time, truly, it's really adorable to watch. He exclaims, I'm door number holder three. (laughs) I'm door holder number three. And his excitement (laughs) is so genuine, hilarious, and adorable. And his mom is equally wonderful in her response. And I'll get to that after you watch the video. But the topper of the adorable tree is what he says when asked upon hearing the news when he got the role. And so let's watch and see his full reaction because it needs to be seen. Required viewing. But it's a classic part. Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then. because I'm door holder number three. I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, Probably... Um, Joseph and Mary. Oh my gosh, were you pleased when they said that? Yeah, and I was like, I'm a door holder, get in there, let's go, yes. I thought you were going to say second lobster. (laughs) (laughs) I know, this was giving Love Actually vibes for sure. (laughs) It was so cute. I just, someone must have really gassed him up, the teacher, and prepared him to be door holder number three <laughs> revved him up and then i loved how his mom didn't skip a beat and like matched his enthusiasm genuinely so <laughs> i watched it no less than 20 times yeah and now he's already doing the new show circuit <laughs> hollywood's oh. opening up doors i, I can't oh, wait to see yeah the, the live footage of him opening up a door <laughs> what about you matt all right. Well, I have two things. We are overflowing with gifts this holiday season. I had to cram in a couple of them. So the first one is from our faves on the Today Show, Hoda Codby and Jenna Bush Hager. And they came out with a little Christmas song called Carefree Christmas, but they can't really sing very well yet. So they enlisted the help of viral vocal coach Cheryl Porter to help them sing their parts. And honestly, she also sings most of the song, which we're probably all uh, a little grateful for. 
It's their first ever Christmas song, and it contains the sure-to-be classic lyric, fire's roaring, we're cheese boarding. So get ready to take a little listen to Carefree Christmas. Sing it on! Let's drive the wave and turn the page. It's time for Christmas Day. That's enough. Cheese boarding anything like waterboarding? <laughs> it sounds like a really delicious and wonderful version of that. <laughs> it looks like Jenna's going to waterboard her. She's like seething with rage, with a smile Would, on her face. You think so? Yeah, she. I don't know. Maybe I'm picking up some energy, but she's only cheese boarding. And in turn, has a gun to her head or something. Sometimes you got to force the cheer. Sometimes you got to force it. Like yeah. they brought in a ringer of a person who can actually sing. Just help them right in the middle. I don't know who that person is, but they're carrying. She's the viral vocal coach. They're she's carrying... the viral vocal coach, Cheryl oh, Porter. The viral Dave. vocal coach? Okay, I don't know who she is. I've never seen her. <laughs> she's viral. I, God bless her because she's got a lot to work with those two. Yes. She's lifting the whole middle part up and taking it home. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we we do get oh, our yeah. nice little back and forth, our patter, which we love. Oh, so, I love the patter. Go home. Um, Could have used a few more lines about wine, but that's my only critique just remembering the fact that Kathy Lee was Hoda's partner for years and she for all of her eccentricities can actually sing. She, she can, yes. I've named that Kathy Lee for years. Lee Giffords, and they have exactly. better chemistry with Hoda. They're sniping at one another. I miss that. <laughs> I miss them too, but I don't dislike Jenna. I think she hangs yeah. in there. Yeah. She'll, she'll hold her own. Alright, so that was not it for me. I also had to point out that it's beginning to look a lot like Bucky's. So Bucky's the Texas gas station chain, known for literally the biggest gas stations in the world, and their mascot is Bucky the Beaver, go larger than life with their Christmas collection as well. From snow globes to inflatable yard decorations, if you can slap a cartoon beaver's face on it, they've got it. I think there's just something so cozy about embracing and making special the horrible mundanity and environmental disaster that are American gas stations. No putting on airs here, just an advent calendar of 12 days of Bucky's socks. My husband and I were in Texas visiting family for Thanksgiving and was the first time that we were in Texas during the holidays and stopped at a Bucky's and were overwhelmed with the amount of Bucky's merch and walked out with an embarrassing amount of Bucky's Christmas stuff. I have got a Bucky's Christmas t-shirt. I have Bucky's Christmas cards. We have Bucky's Christmas ornaments. I don't know what it is. Actually, I do know what it is. It's like the kitsch of it. It's so kitschy. Maybe it's that a little bit of that millennial ir irony coming through, but I, I can't get enough Bucky's Christmas crap. So if I'm being honest, I'm making it's making me very cozy this holiday season. The Gen X irony walked so millennial irony could die. <laughs> belly, belly flop, really. <laughs> Yeah. We salute you. No candles, Matt? I didn't get candles this time just because they're a little bit of a pain to travel with. And honestly, none of the scents were like, oh, I, this is very unique. You know, a lot of it glazed is... donuts. <laughs> well, a lot of the scents are kind of that same kind of like pine tree scent. And you get that everywhere. And you, I don't need I don't need a beaver's face on that particular I item. I don't think Bucky's would have a candle that just called clean bathroom because that's what yeah. they're... <laughs> <laughs> they're also very famous for that. I would have bought that one. The hint of Clorox. Exactly. <laughs> Just the right amount. Dave, how about you? What is making you feel cozy this Christmas? I'm having to narrow down my list. I have so many things that are making me feel cozy. I'll just run through them all real fast. <laughs> As of the time of this recording, I am recently out of hip replacement surgery. Congratulations on the successful Thank procedure. You. I am here at home and I am recovering. And nothing's cozier than convalescence. It and really isn't, actually. That, that he's not lying. There was in my information packet, pre-surgery information packet, that said, set up a spot in your house where you are comfortable and where you can rest. And because I'm not allowed to sleep in my bed at the moment, I have to sleep in this, like, surgery recovery recliner that we have put in our living room. And I have a little table next to it with a little tablecloth on it, a little lamp and candles and all the prescriptions that they've given me. And I'm not on pain pills as I speak. So no one can accuse me of that. So I've got books. I've got a space for my, my tea mug. 
I got to tell you, they don't lie to you when they tell you that convalescence means you're just going to be resting and sleeping a lot. I am. I will conk out any time of the day. And there is nothing cozier in the world than a nap, a spontaneous nap that when you wake up, you don't even have to feel panicked about because you meant to do that. And you don't have to be anywhere because you can't walk very far because you just had a new hip put in your body. <laughs> the other thing that's making me feel very cozy is, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, Hallmark Christmas movies, but not because I'm watching them. W wink if there's any kind of issue, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Is this like a misery situation? <laughs> As people who know me and Alonzo, uh, and if you're listening and you don't know us, then there's no reason for you to know this information. He is... Uh, a routine appearing person on the Deck the Hallmark podcast. My husband loves Hallmark Christmas movies. He co-wrote a book about them with the guys from the Deck the Hallmark podcast. It's part of his career now. Me, I am the opposite of that. I, I hate them. I hate them so much. I hate them. They make me homicidally angry because they're so bad and they're so cheap. And they're so fake and so dumb, and I just can't stand them. This but, year. But <laughs> this recovery recliner that I have to sleep in at night is in the living room. And it's pointed at the TV so that I can watch movies for my job. I fall asleep around 9 o'clock at night, and he's just getting rolling with watching a Hallmark movie. And I drift off to sleep while he's watching them. I wake up an hour after he goes to bed, and the room's dark, and he's got everything put on the table that I need for me. It's like when you're five and you fall asleep in the backseat of the car on the way home and your parents are driving and it's nighttime and you feel very yes. safe and protected. Such I a cozy sensation. That mm -hmm. I feel very protected from the Hallmark movie <laughs> when I'm falling asleep on Gabapentin. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is those are the many things that are making me feel cozy. Also, Turner Classic Movies in the middle of the night when you wake up from surgery recovery, mm. there's always something on. And it's something weird, too, because in the middle of the night, they show the... Oh, yeah, ex yeah except yeah, when you wake up in the middle of the night. really bizarre silent in film, film, and it's like yeah. Satan, like, tiptoeing around. <laughs> you like, what, what are they showing late at night? Turner Classic Movies is the convalescent's best friend. <laughs> it sounds like your life has become that sweet spot between Christmas until New Year's. We don't know what day it is. And all your only job is to sleep and eat. He's very, getting an early cozy. hop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're so glad that the recovery is smooth, that you're on the mend. Glad to have you back in action. And also glad to hear that you're liking this batch of Hallmark Christmas movies, or at least the environment no, that they're creating. I haven't watched any no, of No, I them. think what you said was that you love this year's <laughs> Yeah, their biggest fan. Hallmark Christmas Me movies. Enjoy. I'm not actually <laughs> watching them. I'm falling asleep to them. What an but advertisement. Because my wonderful, naughty night nurse husband <laughs> is in the room watching them, and it makes me feel... Cozy. Some people fold laundry to them. Some people lose consciousness to them. <laughs> they don't well, well, let's hear from the naughty night nurse. Alonzo, <laughs> what is making you feel cozy this Christmas? So I've been reading a book called A Disturbance in the Force by Steve Kozak. And it is an, kind of an oral history, not exactly, but like a, a deep dive into how and why the Star Wars holiday special was made. And it is fascinating because I never, I did not see it when it originally aired. I only caught up with it years later. And I'm not like so super invested in Star Wars that like it, it bothers me in any way that it exists or that I find it to be an affront. But it's such a crazy confluence of late 70s. Star Wars was super popular, but they worried that the toys weren't going to sell if they didn't somehow stay in the public eye. And so they thought, we'll do a TV special. And then doing a TV special at that point meant we have to have like musical numbers and be Arthur. Mm -hmm. And so it's this thing that is so neither fish nor fowl. It's not a very good variety special. It's certainly not a good piece of Star Wars canon. Oh, yes, it is. Just reading about it, 
takes me back to that era of television where like one of the big inspirations for doing this was that they had done all this Star Wars stuff with Donnie and Marie. So it takes me back to that era of cheesy varieties television. But also just there's something about watching somebody else's debacle unfold in slow motion, which is what's what happens when you read this book. It lets me drift off in a Christmassy mode the way that Dave dozes off during my Hallmark movies. So it's a really fun read, even if you're not a Star Wars person, just if you're a fan of like nutty Christmas television or weird choices, it's all in there. Yeah, a full scene of just Wookiee conversation. Oh yeah, like the first 20 minutes with no subtitles. It really tests your patience and is some a sight to behold. I don't think George Lucas ever officially wants to acknowledge it, but he's given up on trying to take it off of YouTube. So. <laughs> Watch it if just to meet Chewbacca's son, Lumpy. <laughs> Indeed. Very cozy picks. Speaking of cozy picks, Jillian and I knew immediately we wanted to do a kind of Christmas on the beach episode and were intrigued by the challenge of finding movies set in a place you'd sweat, but still brought a festive Christmas vibe. And so this episode is really for everyone who is or wishes they were on a beach this Christmas. But once we started searching, as Dave and Alonzo know, because we sent them our initial list of movies... The biggest hits were either much derided TV movies or infamously bad spectacles like 1972's Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, which, by the way, if you're like me and you enjoy, quote unquote, bad movies, mystery science theater style riffing on terrible films, even if you like that stuff, and I like that stuff, I was watching it last night. Do not watch this film unless you have a riff tracks going on because you will need the company. You will need the commentary because professionals have to do this for you. Yeah, exactly. You you need the professionals there to hold your hand through it because it really is. If you're just watching it dry, it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is so terrible. It's upsetting. And the ineptitude and unpleasantness of almost every single element of it some bad movies feel like outsider art, and then some bad movies just feel like the police are going to show up either on the set or at your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They should have here. <laughs> they yeah. have saved everyone a lot of misery. We and you, dear listener, frankly, are fortunate that our special Christmas guests are knowledgeable film critics who could steer us toward watchable, even lovable Christmas movies where you're more likely to find sand than snow. So let's start with the most recent, and then we're going to work our way backwards. 2007's This Christmas has us celebrating Christmas in sunny Los Angeles with the Whitfield family. At a stately and festive home in West Adams, matriarch Shirley Ann, affectionately called Madeer, played by Loretta Devine, and her boyfriend Joe, Delroy Lindo, are joined by her six children for the holidays. And they're not coming to Christmas empty-handed. Each is bringing a surprise or a secret that threatens to explode the family reunion. Will responsible and long-suffering housewife Lisa, played by Regina King, finally stand up to her cheating husband? Can Claude, a Marine, admit why he went AWOL? How will Madeer react to Michael's, played by Chris Brown, dreams of being a singer when dad left the family to pursue a career in music? Music is not popular in this family. Very Coco. A lot of traumatic moments around music here. And what's really behind Quentin Jr., played by Idris Elba, finally showing up for Christmas for the first time in four years. All will be revealed over plenty of wine, laughter, and even music, actually, despite Madeer's protests. I'll kick it off by saying, for as, as recent as this movie is, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I got like the men in black came and wiped my memory. I don't remember ever hearing about this movie. And then watching it, I'm like, this is such a cozy film it's like the family is so warm Dave and Alonzo you're the professional film critics how did you find this and what were your feelings as you discovered this Christmas it came out in 2007 so I had to review it I don't know if Alonzo had to review it. I didn't but I remember going with you we bought a ticket to see, to it. see it because we were in Atlanta for the holidays uh, for, for, thank for Thanksgiving for Thanksgiving visiting Alonzo's family and when it was over I was like oh I love this movie. <laughs> now, you chose this because of its chronology, but you could have also chosen this because of the temperature, because we get more tropical the further we go back. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. true. Yeah. We're still in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> who lives in Los Angeles can tell you the weather in December and January and February and even November can be very unpredictable. 
One day could be 80 degrees. The next day could be 43 degrees. The nights can be cold. Every so often, somehow, somewhere, it'll snow somewhere in, in the Southern California area, Malibu, the Paramount lot. So it's a wildly different how we go with temperature. I know that people think of Los Angeles as everybody's surfing and everyone's in the pool. Baywatch 24-7. Yeah. I don't think I've seen a beach in four years. And so even though we don't get snow, except in those rare freak moments. Or, or in the mountains, yeah. You are dropped into a film where it seems chilly at night. Everybody's wearing cozy outfits. And the film itself has an attitude and an atmosphere of familial warmth, in spite of the fact that people are sort of bickering and fighting and stuff like that. But it all comes together at the end in a truly wonderful way. And it's got a great cast. Loretta Devine, Delroy Lindo, Idris Elba, Chris Brown before the Troubles, Emmy Award winner Gina Mm -hmm. King, Lauren London, Laz Alonzo, Sharon Leal from Dreamgirls, who, by the way, Dreamgirls the movie, Loretta Devine, was the original cast of Dreamgirls on Broadway. And so you get two Dreamgirls <laughs> in this movie, Mikai Pfeiffer. This is a cool cast. And the closing credits are like the icing on this cake because the cast breaks character and just becomes themselves over the closing credits. I won't spoil what happens, but it's delightful. And you can look at it and watch it and enjoy it over and over. I've seen this movie half a dozen times Mm -hmm. in the past 15 years, and I love it every time. Yeah, I I wrote about it for for Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, and you're not the only one, Matt. I feel like this went under a lot of people's radars. And so it's one of that, for example, this, when somebody asks about movies that people haven't heard of or that are set in a warm climate or whatever, I love getting to tell people about it again because it's a real gem. And it's also, first of all, even though it did fly under a lot of people's radar, it was a, a box office hit. Yeah. It, it cost like $13 million to make. It made like $50 million. And it's become a staple. And on it's, got a, it's got an evergreen hook to it and that the title comes from Donny Hathaway's classic 1970s song, This Christmas, which becomes more and more popular every year, yeah. even though it's a 53-year-old song. And as somebody who comes from a big family, there's so much about the family dynamic in this movie that I recognize. <laughs> the way that you can go out in the world and do whatever and become whatever, but when you all get home, you all wind up back in your old positions in the family as far as oldest and youngest and neglected middle child and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's funny. It's, you know, sweet at times. Yeah, I just, I, I love it. What did you guys think on your first view? I love watching holiday drama from the comfort of my couch because I know that I'm going to be in for it when I'm actually with my family. So it's nice to just sit back and watch it unfold. And that's very cozy and comforting. Someone else's dysfunction. Yeah. I also love the character Joe and his relationships with all the siblings and how protective he was. Also, the scene where Regina King gets her revenge was just so satisfying <laughs> that car scene oh my god i love that and <laughs> i hate to say it but chris brown's rendition of this christmas i i really enjoyed <laughs> yeah it's rare in a movie that someone tells you this person's a great, a great singer, singer. and yeah. then yeah then you have to sit through and be like are they we actually recently watched an episode of dawson's creek where Katie Holmes has to sing a song from Les Mis and it's just so shrill. And then everyone's, wow, can you believe she did that? And you're like, no, but for the wrong reason. So to finally hear like a great singer sing beautifully and then everyone acknowledges it, that it's beautiful. There's no cognitive dissonance in this film around people's talent. (laughs) I think it's also one of the few movies that acknowledges the fact that, uh, like the way the dinner scenes in this movie are shot are so gorgeous. All these sort of overhead shots of the plates going back and forth. But I've never heard, I've never seen a Christmas movie where they have a conversation about how we're doing the big dinner on, you know, the 25th. Who's cooking on the 24th? And no one has planned anything. (laughs) (laughs) You either got to plan it or you go grab a pizza or something. Yeah, this was really cozy. And you're right. It was a huge hit when it came out. It opened next to Enchanted, which was also a big hit. It was in theaters alongside, I'm looking at Beowulf and Fred Claus. (laughs) 
<laughs> so just to put you in the era, but I just think that if you necessarily weren't in the market for Christmas movies at the time, you weren't in the theaters in that moment, it, it might have snuck past you. And that's also before I think streaming was huge. It wasn't as easy to catch it again. You had to really know it was going to come out in DVD and stuff. Yeah, but I'm very happy that it's widely yeah. available now and highly recommend everyone listening take a look at it if you haven't seen it. It's very cozy. Yeah, thanks for the rec. Yeah, thank you. So we're doing great. We're doing way better than the ice cream bunny. Now let's move back in time a little more. Now we're in 1982, also getting a little warmer because we were in Australia. Grab a red and green bathing suit and your dancing shoes because it's December 1982 in coastal Sydney, Australia. In this comedy musical, Starstruck, teenager Jackie Mullins, played by Joe Kennedy, May work as a barmaid in her mother's drab pub by day, but by night, she's an aspiring singer and rock star who's waiting for somebody to finally notice her, quote, animal presence. She's aided in this effort by her indefatigable manager, promoter, and cousin, Angus, played by Ross O'Donovan. Their grit nets them a band called the Wombats, and after a stunt in which Jackie walks a tightrope, quote, nude, don't worry, she's wearing a fake breastplate, <laughs> but she appears nude from the street between two high-rise buildings. They're on the radar of The Wow Show, hosted by Terry Lambert, who gives Jackie a platform in exchange for dumping the band, her cousin, and worst of all, her sound. But just when Christmas looks bleak and New Year's looks even worse, Angus cooks up a plan to not only save Jackie's credibility as a singer, but the family pub as well. But first, they'll have to break into the Sydney Opera House to crash the WOW Show's New Year's Eve talent competition. So this is another one I have to admit I'd never heard of before. <laughs> so Dave and Alonzo, tell us a little bit about Starstruck. And Take it away, Alonzo. What, what makes you, like, how does it give you that Christmas vibe? Uh, I've been obsessed with this movie for most of my life. When I was 15, it came out, and Siskel and Ebert reviewed it, and I saw the clips, and I thought, oh, I got to see this, especially because it was the follow-up film after my brilliant career from director Julian Armstrong. And my brilliant career is this movie that really helped kickstart the Australian new wave of the 70s, and it is very Merchant Ivory-ish in terms of being set in in the you know, rural Australia in the 19th century with hot young Sam Neill like riding horses and being aristocratic and stuff and and so nobody expected that her second movie was going to be this like candy colored new wave musical I finally got to see it when I was in college and it was like a, a movie that I would just force people to watch I have the soundtrack Dave among them to this day I still force people to watch it but it has this it, the whole movie is about trying to get onto this New Year's talent show which requires them to also include Christmas. And so there's this wonderful Christmas dinner scene where a lot of the plot threads come up or get set up for how the, the rest of the film is going to go. But it was the first time I had ever seen anything from the Southern Hemisphere that was a Christmas anything. So the idea that it was so sun-drenched and they may not literally go to the beach, but they're all pretty much like wearing flip-flops and shorts and perspiring. And it's Christmas, you know, it's December, it's Christmas time. So yeah, it, it's a movie that I think operates in a very sort of old-fashioned kind of Mickey and Judy, let's put on a show and save the family business level. And in the way that Elf travels that tight wire of being like old-fashioned, but also modern and knowing about how old-fashioned it's being. I feel like Starstruck does the same thing. And uh, it's just a, a film I adore. And so the fact that it's also a Christmas movie means gives me an excuse to put it in context like this one. I also love the scene where they're during Christmas and they're all eating together because the room is very cluttered and everyone's really close together. And they have a, yeah, and that was always a Christmas setting I dreamed of because... I don't know. Our Christmas room was always very cold because all the windows in it. It was like a stone floor. I wanted that like cozy enclosed space. And I also love the cat in that scene. So many great cats. She oh, think yeah, the cats uh, wear yeah. a leopard bracelet <laughs> on its neck. When she and... picks up all the cats at once, there's a scene where she's picking up all the cats outside <laughs> in the street. And you just, it almost looks like she's like trying to set a Guinness World Record for how many cats <laughs> she can hold. It's it, gripping entertainment. I was I loved that. And it led me to the site Cinema Cats because I just had to look it up. So that exists. That's wonderful. <laughs> this is a musical and the music is gloriously 80s and the hair and the makeup is also just so like very 
unabashedly and proudly like youth culture at that time. I really loved that energy coming with it. I love the line like, you should be serious about the silly things and silly about the serious things, which encapsulates their attitude toward life. But things get confused once they get this larger platform and they have to maybe sacrifice some of their values in exchange for it. I also really love the choreography, which is so... It's, you know what it is when I love about the choreography? It's inclusive because everybody's dancing. It doesn't matter how old or young you are moving in this movie. Some of the best senior dancing in cinema, I think. <laughs> I, I, I think this film, as delightful as it is, should come with a warning. And the warning should be, if you are not Australian, <laughs> yes. you need to do two things while watching it. You need to have the captions on. Yes, I put the captions on myself. Oh, I should have done that. <laughs> and, and you need to stop when you need to, to Google Australian slang. Because the first time I saw this movie, I had never heard of it. And Alonzo and I met in 1995. And within about three months of knowing each other, he made me watch this movie. He had, at the time, a VHS cassette of it with no captions, none. And when it was over, I nodded politely. <laughs> and I said, that was nice. What was it about? <laughs> what were they saying? What did anyone say at any moment in this film? What lines of dialogue were spoken? What language were they speaking? <laughs> and then he goes, you didn't understand it? I said, how many times have you seen this movie? He goes, a lot. I said, well, then I probably might need to see it a lot before I get it, suddenly, boom, here comes DVDs, a DVD came out. Captions. I watched it again. And I was like, oh, oh. that's what it was about. <laughs> that's what they were saying. I still have no idea what some of these things mean, because it's colloquialism after colloquialism. But I'm willing to give it a third try in the future when the internet takes over. <laughs> then I can actually Google what people are even going on about. <laughs> so it took me like three or four viewings with increasing technology to assist me to figure out what was going on. Now, I, I love it. I love this movie. And I've learned things about the way people speak in Australia that I've never knew before. It is still weird to me. Oh, yeah. See people engaging in Christmas stuff like this Christmas. They're wearing coats and sweaters. Yeah, coats. it reads as it, it reads it's as chilly. Chilly. Yeah. It's chilly outside. It's not like snow. It's not white Christmas, but it's like it is still it's a, like autumn anywhere else. It's, it's <laughs> autumn anywhere else. Okay. So anyway, it's still weird to me to watch and understand Christmas from a tropical perspective because it's summer in Australia in December. It's 38 degrees Celsius. That's 100 degrees Fahrenheit for those of you in the United States of America. It's also the name of a Kylie Minogue and Danny Minogue duet. <laughs> that, that, that is a Christmas song. Yes. A Christmas song that they recorded together called 100 Degrees. One of the few hot weather Christmas songs. Yeah. And it is a door into another world. And I love this movie. Yeah. Uh, but don't watch it on a VHS back in 1995. <laughs> finishing it going, I have, I don't know what's, I don't, who, what happened. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like Charlie Brown. I just like, meh, meh, meh. I couldn't, I was like, I'm hard of hearing. And, but I guess somehow I was able to make it out. But this is, I think, Lonzo, you mentioned how you found it when you were younger. I think this is the kind of catnip for me that if I saw it when I was younger, it's something so different from what you're ever exposed to or used to. And it's so perfectly zany. The costumes, I want her entire wardrobe. Oh, that dress at the end is the best. Yeah. Oh, and so our apologies to all of your Australian listeners who think that we're <laughs> dummies for not being able to understand how they speak. I can I confess that I am a dummy. <laughs> oh, I yeah, I, I didn't get it, but I was gonna say Baz Lorman watched this movie and took a, copious a, notes. a book length <laughs> notes and was like, I'm gonna do this, but, but more and faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this movie is in its own universe entirely. And even if you can't understand what they're saying, you will still be like pulled in by all the visuals. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. If you love the aesthetics of the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, this is also a movie that needs to be part of your menu. And I had read somewhere, I think it's the same production designer as Rocky Horror and Shock Treatment. Yeah. 
And so you, it really feels the same. It has the same texture to it in yeah. terms of the way things look in the materials. So that's the kind of vibe. And on that note, like if you're like watching a Charlie Brown Christmas and then you're like, hey, Matt and Jillian and Dave and Alonzo said Starstruck is great. Let me put this on for the kids. Maybe don't because <laughs> <laughs> this, one, this one's a little bit more like out there. There's a little bit of nudity in it. Just fair warning. It's still very cozy and it's not like outrageous or anything, but just wanted to make sure folks are aware because it's wholesome, but there's some sexiness to it. Some edge. Sure. My my goal on my bucket list is to one day visit Sydney, Australia and go to the real Harborview Hotel, which actually exists. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And oh, before we move on to, if you're all watching this, keep an eye out for Jeffrey Rush, who is the stage manager in the TV scenes. Very young Jeffrey Rush. Yes. Future Oscar winner. Panicking about where people are looking at the cameras. So now we're going back to 1955 um, for Where No Angels. And so prepare to sweat while you sing Christmas carols because we're ending our journey in French Guiana. Where No Angels stars Humphrey Bogart, Aldo Ray, and Peter Ustinov as Joseph, Albert, and Jules, three escaped prisoners from Devil's Island looking for a place to hide out. They stumble across a struggling store run by Felix, played by Leo G. Carroll, and offer to fix its leaky roof in order to be in prime position to line their pockets as they wait for a ship in which they can stow away to Paris. But from their vantage point on the roof, they find themselves learning about the plight of Felix, his wife Amelie, and his daughter Isabel. Before they know it, they're not only cooking turkeys to prepare a Christmas feast for the poor family, but cooking the books to defend them from sinister financier Cousin Andre and his greedy nephew Paul. As the film's tagline says, a strangler, a swindler, a safe cracker. Yet, you'll love them. <laughs> <laughs> They're right. I loved them. This movie is incredible. I was grinning from ear to ear, laughing. It's so fresh. I swear some moments feel like they were just filmed today, like the performances and the dialogue. It does not feel dated. And the visuals are so pretty. So many Christmas decorations. It's just, I really loved, love, love this movie, but I'm gushing too much right off the bat. I'm going to pass it back to the film critics to give us a little bit more of a primer in Where No Angels. So this was another movie of my, like even before Star Trek, of my like very young childhood. In the pre-VCR, pre-DVR, pre-cable days, there were a handful of movies where in my house, if they came on TV, everything stopped. It could be 10 o'clock in the morning. It could be three o'clock in the morning. But if this movie was on, we would gather around the set and watch it. And for some reason, We're No Angels was one of them. I My mother always loved Humphrey Bogart. And there's something about the, this is a darkly funny movie. Oh, yeah. I, this is a movie in which everyone's Christmas dreams come true, at least partially via homicide. <laughs> um, but as you say, the strangler, the safe cracker, and the swindler, and the swindler yeah. are they are they're so oh no off to you. <laughs> they're, 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 they have such an exaggerated sense of etiquette between them that's really funny. And the three actors are a delight. It's just this movie that that ever since for as long as I can remember, just has always been like a family favorite. And this was a movie that would pop up whenever, even though it, it is set entirely at Christmas time, it would be on in April or August or whatever. It just would just be there. But interestingly, it's directed by Michael Curtiz, who had just made White Christmas, like right before this one. In fact, both films open with the same VistaVision logo, mm -hmm. which was this sort of short-lived paramount attempt to compete with CinemaScope, where CinemaScope was basically... They use special lenses to widen the image. VistaVision had the film running through the camera, not top to bottom, but left to right, so they could make it as wide as they wanted. That was what VistaVision was. They, they didn't really, it didn't really catch on, but both movies have that little gimmicky thing at the beginning. So yeah, I mean, it, it is based on a play and a lot of times feels like it's based on a play. You know, they, you can tell they've never left the soundstage in this presentation of French Guiana, mm -hmm. but it's super charming and funny. I like it a lot. Every one of the three leads has been perfectly cast. Because you've got Humphrey Bogart, who has never been adorable. No. Through the magic of this alchemy, he is in this film. You've got Aldo Ray, who's like the big, dumb, blonde, lummox, jock person. Babyface. That you don't, again, think of as adorable. But 
he's giving so much sweetness here that the fact that his character is a murderer and other things that are just as bad that he did to get where he was, you're thinking, oh, okay, but he's a nice murderer. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's Peter Ustinoff, who at this point in his career, he was 32 years old. So that makes him baby Peter Ustinoff. Not the version that you would come to know. Not the Hercule Poirot version. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Death in the Nile. And he is behaving like the Carmen Miranda of this film. (laughs) He, in every scene he's in, no matter who is talking, he might not even be the focus of the the conversation or or the scene. He's giving so much facial reaction. You can't help but look at him while other people are doing what they're doing on camera. And he's doing it, again, with this adorable, cherubic, dumpling persona. (laughs) And he's the most fastidious of the bunch. Avuncular. He's he's the one that has the most clever commentary on every single thing that happens in the film. And all of it goes back and forth between the three of them as, reminder, we've killed people. (laughs) And we would also love to kill the nice sweet family in this movie just so we can get their money oops they don't have any money i guess we can't kill them (laughs) they have to focus on trying to kill somebody else to make not just their own desires material but the desires of the nice family and in the meantime they're all spending christmas together and they're cooking dinner together and they're decorating and it's the sweetest weirdest like juxtaposition of actual bad people who've done really bad things and cozy, warm happiness and absolutely funny comedy from start to finish. Oh yeah. I was hysterical in so many moments. That one line where they say, Oh, we're going to slit their throats. We're going to do this or that, but we got to do the dishes first. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Or when Andre, no one's going to look in the room to see that they're trying to get him to see him when he's dead and whatnot. That was just... (laughs) Hilarious, but I think this is the one movie where I actually convinced me that maybe I would want to go to a tropical destination for Christmas. Just the setting, as Matt was saying, mm. so lovely and classic. And I think there's also a palm tree Christmas tree that was in mm. one of the beginning scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh I got to make one of those. But yeah. But would I, you want to wear those outfits of 1895 <laughs> where everyone's in long sleeves and like I'll pass on that and hats <laughs> and everything? And it's so many good. layers. It's 105 degrees. At one point, someone says this in the film, and everyone is dressed like in layers. And you're thinking, <laughs> how do they not die of this? Did, yeah. did you guys by chance see a movie called Zama in the last couple of years? It's like this Spanish bureaucrat who is like stuck in one of the colonies in South America. Is it Argentina or it might be Argentina? Yeah. And, and but like everybody dresses like they're in Europe, so they're all wearing all this wool and stuff, and they're yeah. just all sweating, and people are just they, they've had the same clothes for so long, they're like falling apart. Mm-hmm. And, yeah me and it's, yeah the, the, this notion of like european colonization where yes we're in india now but we're still going to dress like we're in northern england like, <laughs> maybe maybe down <laughs> the performances in this are incredible and they are all lovable in their way but also they just have that menacing quality underneath all of that too so like humphrey bogart in particular like he could really turn on a dime. There were some looks he'd give people. You're like, oh, you're really going to kill that person. But then he's, oh, but you're actually kind of, a, you're kind of a sweet uncle character. Okay, all right. And so the the tension there really worked. Also, I have to say Aldo Ray's performance in particular, he was doing a whole other style of acting where if it almost it felt like a reality show almost or something. Like he's <laughs> yeah. super naturalistic, and it maybe isn't the most like technically perfect performance. But it, it, there was something about watching him that made me feel like he was like a modern person that somehow had traveled back in time to this filming because <laughs> the, the way he delivers lines is just contemporary. He could be in a Judd Apatow movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When his career began, he didn't really have much interest in being an actor. He was like a big football player at whatever college he went to because he's, he was this big yeah. you know, bruiser of a guy. And, and he just fell backwards into acting. That's my memory of reading about where he came along from and you can feel it in him he is just always being himself a rough everyday kind of dude despite the black comedy aspect of it it's very cozy and Mm -hmm. ends up being such a warm ending 
even if how we got there isn't so moral, but it makes you almost like question in, in terms of thinking about Christmas and the downtrodden. It like, makes you question a little bit of your morality. What's worth doing it in the service of other people? Um, Sometimes you just got to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> What but yeah, treat. this was an incredibly cozy movie, and I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. This is going to be, for me, like on rotation. Yeah, I'm, I want to see year. this every Christmas. Yeah. Thank you all for sharing these amazing gems. Now that we have our cozy, tropical Christmas movies on lock, thanks to Dave and Alonzo, let's take a sip of some tropical Christmas cocktails. Because really, who needs a fireplace when you can warm up with the sun on your skin and a Christmas cocktail in your hand? Santa's going to pass on that glass of milk after he's had a couple of these stiff drinks. So Jillian, cheers. Happy holidays. What are you drinking over there in your neck of the woods? It happens either that I pick mine first or you pick yours first. Because I like to do the opposite. So you picked a bright and flavorful, fruity kind of drink. And obviously you're going to share it. But Fruity, okay. That's interesting. Well, fruity, but <laughs> bright and light and breezy. And so I went the completely opposite direction and I chose a recipe from Christmas with Southern Living 1981 edition. Mm. I found it at a thrift store and I just went to their drink section and I said, I'm going to do one of these drinks, (laughs) hell or high water. (laughs) And a lot of them were very warm and sweet and the kind of thing that you wouldn't want to drink on the beach. I chose the next best option, which was the Kahlua Velvet Frosty. And a reader sent this in as his recipe, Roger Tremblay from Dallas, Texas. So that was a sweet element. So where Roger, his recipe lives on. As the the title of the drink states, one cup of Kahlua, or you can use another coffee-flavored liqueur, or one pint of vanilla ice cream, which is seems like a lot, but it works. One cup of half and half, and then one eighth of teaspoon almond extract. I recommend doing maybe peppermint extract. If I could do the recipe over, I would swap it out. And then about one half cup crushed ice, and then you just blend it all together. This is one of the reasons why I also chose this recipe because it was easy. I don't typically have pints of vanilla ice cream or Kahlua hanging around my house, but I can easily go to the store and get it because a lot of the Christmas tropical cocktail recipes I found were just hard to find ingredients. You don't have pine syrup? <laughs> yeah, like, you have guava extract just lying around. And, you know, <laughs> so I, it's so easy. And I made it within maybe five minutes. And it made about four cocktails. And I put some in the fridge. And it's very refreshing. And I thought the ice cream had that element of beachy. It's not something I think you want to have more than one. It's very creamy and sugary <laughs> and it's refreshing, but you're not going to want more th- than one. But it was it's a nice treat. And if you're getting together with a bunch of folks, this is a kind of drink that's refreshing. So those rooms can get really hot when you're around a lot of you know, family and you're all crowded together. So thank you, Roger Tremblay from Dallas, Texas, 1981. Cheers. The drink looks very tasty. It looks like somebody blended up Frosty and spiked the drink. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) and it's my first drink since Thanksgiving. So sick. And yeah, Julie hasn't been feeling well, so she's back with us. Feels like this velvet frosty brought her back to life. It was the magic top hat for her. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, you can only have one of it as a theme for this segment uh, because mine's kind of the same. Also very creamy, but in a a slightly more tropical direction, and insofar as it's coconut heavy. So I made White Christmas Margarita Punch by How Sweet Eats. And honestly, this felt more like a pina colada than a margarita to me. But whatever you call it, it was a hit. Some friends, we all went to Palm Springs for a weekend in December. And I was like, look, I got to make a cocktail for my podcast, as one does. And you're all my guinea pigs. And so we made it and we had it every night on the weekend because people were wanting more White Christmas Margarita Punch. So this is how you make this cocktail. I separate the non-alcoholic ingredients from the alcoholic ingredients for two reasons. One is that we had a sober friend who wanted to partake but didn't want the alcohol involved. And also, it's better to do that just because you can make one drink at a time and and apportion appropriately versus being stuck with a big mix and you're like, now I have this big punch bowl in my fridge, right? It allowed us to store more easily. And so this is what goes into the non-alcoholic side. Coconut cream, coconut water, lime juice a little bit of simple syrup, and coconut milk. If you heard me say coconut 50 times, because there's a lot of different types of coconut in this. (laughs) 
They, the recipe also calls for coconut extract. I did not do that because I already saw the word coconut enough. I did not, it did not lack for coconut flavor. Kind of gilding the lily at this point. Exactly. And in fact, now let's talk about the booze. So they also call for coconut rum. No, whatever kind of silver white rum is fine. That's what we did. And then we did silver tequila and a little bit of triple sec. Now they also called for Grand Mariner, but I'm not Rich Uncle yeah. Pennybag. So I had to go with just a, a you know triple sec. That was fine. We're budget conscious over here at All Things Cozy. <laughs> and so you put that together and you get like just an, it almost, it just was such a warm, delicious. It did really feel tropical in terms of all the coconut flavor. And I think the most important part of this cocktail is the coconut water because it gave the drink almost a hydration boost. Like you're drinking it like, I think I'm being healthy right now, actually. I think this is actually hydrating me. And on top of that, I do want to add too, while you can only have like maybe one of these cocktails, it is, is one of those drinks where the sweetness of the what you're mixing it with, it so consumes the alcohol that you do not feel as if you are drinking anything alcoholic. It's all baked in. You just get a little bit of that kind of like spiciness of the rum and that's it. Everything else is disguised. And so you be careful because you could easily overconsume these. It's, it's a lot of alcohol. But for me, the coziest Christmassy part of this was the garnish. You throw a sprig of rosemary and a few fresh cranberries on top and it is a showstopper of a drink. It is pure white. White is a white Christmas that you don't have to get through the snow with these pops of red and green. It is a beautiful drink to prepare for your guests. Nice. It looks really beautiful, like you said. I think that's the biggest draw here. And maybe our drinks are more similar than I thought with the creaminess, but yours has a little bit of more peppinant step with the lime and the fresh cranberries and it's more lively. So Yeah, there's a, it was easy to make, but you definitely have to get a lot of little things. So there's a little more prep. My, my lazy person's holiday cocktail is I like to take eggnog and add a little of the Jack Daniels honey flavor, mm. which I think yeah, just has a, a nice sort of Christmassy sense to it. And I suppose if you wanted to go tropical, you could make it with a coconut milk eggnog, which I know does exist out there. What? I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, they don't stop at this. Our cheeks are like roses, our nose like a cherry after these cocktails. So... Let's set our ears to the twinkling of some songs of the season. So my song of the season, I did find it really based on looking for Christmas songs that also had a bit of a warm vibe to them. And so I found a song from Nashville-based singer-songwriter Alana Springsteen. There is no relation to Bruce. I know you're thinking it. And she just released the perfect song to listen to while you sip your cozy tropical cocktail. It's called Christmas Comes in Waves, where Alana pays tribute to her hometown of Virginia Beach, her favorite place to be. So let's take a listen. I'll go ahead and share my screen again to Christmas Comes in Waves. I want to be where Christmas comes in waves on the sand with a drink in my hand watching string lights on a palm tree sway. You get the gist. The song fits the assignment, I think. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> impressed how on the nose it was. <laughs> Good a, a plus for that. And it's a new song. I just it's just it's just the right time and place. Alana, amazing timing for to for all things cozy exposure. She fell down your chimney. <laughs> Honestly, the beach looks a little cold, but she's she's soldiering on her uh crop top and jean shorts. <laughs> so it, it's with that spirit that we have our tropical Christmas time. Julian. What sound of the season is soothing you? My pick is not beach themed, but it's very cozy. I wouldn't be surprised if it pops up in a Christmas movie on a soundtrack because it's just very velvety, sweet, and speaks to a really heartfelt sentiment. It's Gregory Porter's Heart for Christmas from his first ever holiday album, Christmas Wish. And Porter says the track, Heart for Christmas is a personal song for me that captures the true essence of Christmas, a return to the childlike awe, the magic of believing, and of joy. So with that, let's take a listen to Gregory Porter's Heart for Christmas. Staying up so we could hear the sound of reindeer 
Say that Christmas is for girls and boys, so they can have their fun and joys. And Christmas is for children, and children turn to men. Give me a heart of Christmas. I love the math involved in this song. Where well, yeah, the children well, turn you... to men is a little strange. <laughs> But <laughs> if you say Christmas is for children, then by that extent, like there's like this whole logic that he's creating for this song that I really love. But genuinely, this is such a smooth song. His voice is beautiful. Yeah. Light of fire. You're listening to it. He doesn't have jean shorts on, but he makes up for it with his talent. <laughs> it's not too late, Gregory. I mean, you can still do the visualizer with uh, some jean shorts. <laughs> I, I, I threw one your way. It's it, it doesn't specifically mention the weather, but because it is tied into a sort of Latin American, South American dance craze, I think that gives the implication of a summertime Christmas. Ooh. So it, it's from Big John Greer. I think several people record it, but this is the version that pops up the most. And uh, it's called We Want to See Santa Do the Mambo. I, I think that uh, it has a sort of Copacabana feel to it. Like you are on a, a glistening beach somewhere in Brazil, perhaps. And the girl from Ipanema is getting a Christmas present. I like the sound of this. Yeah, well, let's take a listen to John Greer's We Want to See Santa Do the Mambo. We want to see Santa do the mambo. The mambo see Santa do the mambo. The mambo see Santa do the mambo. The mambo, mambo, Santa Claus. I think he wants to see Santa do the mambo. <laughs> Call me crazy. No, I think you, you won this. I was bopping shoulders or going, I want to do that mambo. Yeah, thank goodness you, you not only brought amazing movies, but you outdid our song too. <laughs> if you're not careful, you're, this is going to become a Santa Claus situation. We're going to be killed and you'll become the new host of All Things Cozy. <laughs> and, I, and I think we all know that you don't need another podcast to do. <laughs> no, heaven forbid. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, I bow to the champs of Cozy, which y'all <laughs> are and will always be. That is an amazing song. Thank you yes. for putting that on our radar. Thank what a you. delight. All right. So if we have our cocktail, yes, we have our, our sound of the season, but we also have to have a scent to enjoy and make us really feel like we are in the Christmas spirit, but in a tropical environment. And Julian, we actually both bought like warring candles but mine didn't arrive in time for this episode recording. So we're gonna have to get back to that one. All right. The battle of the Christmas at the beaches is going to have to <laughs> happen later. But for right now, Jillian, what are we sniffing this holiday? I thought I was doing Matt a favor when I got this candle because I knew how busy he was. And yeah, he bought the same one. Same well, no, title. It, it, yeah, but it worked out because mine didn't out. come. So this is perfect. I chose Sanibel Candle Company's Christmas at the Beach. And I chose this because my grandma used to own a Christmas store in Sanibel for a very long time. So I have a lot of memories being there in summertime or on spring break and just spending hours in her Christmas store and just being absolutely amazed by it. Sanibel has a really special place in my heart and I had to check out this company and it typically retails for $27. It was a little bit pricey. And I know Matt, the one that you picked was, I said, way too rich for my blood. And I passed right over it. <laughs> and this was on sale for half the price, 16 bucks. The scent is vanilla, sandalwood and Fraser fir. And the description is Escape to a seaside paradise with our Christmas at the beach candle, featuring an invigorating blend of vanilla, sandalwood, and Fraser fir. Immerse yourself in the perfect harmony of coastal tranquility and festive holiday cheer, all wrapped up in a delightful fragrance that captures the essence of a beachside Christmas. And I also love this candle doesn't have ingredients I can't pronounce. So that was a win <laughs> as well. Unfortunately, I can't really smell up due to a cold that I had, but I'm getting an overwhelming sense of vanilla. And that was the problem with her candle last episode. So I think I've been duped once again. My partner says that they can smell the Fraser fur a little bit. So possibly it has that. But I don't know if I'm going to buy candles with the word vanilla in it anymore because I just end up getting a vanilla candle. And I was really excited to get the mix of those two scents, the Fraser fur. What does have going for it, it's a beautiful candle you can tell this is a quality candle the burn you're gonna get a lot of hours out of it and shipped on time they have a bunch of christmas scents on their website and i love any beach beachy based company that sells christmas candles so 
it's hard for me to give it half a wick. Uh, so I'll give it a, a wick just for the nostalgia factor <laughs> and that it and it really tried. I, lo- I love your Christmas spirit pity wick. <laughs> I, I would do, is there, does it come with a picture of like Kramer wearing sunglasses or something? It's Christmas of the beach. I that's one. That's actually one piece of feedback I do have for them. It it's back there. The label is it could be a little bit more festive. It's just a, like a circle sticker slapped on with some palm trees. Yeah, they need to spice it up, their decoration for the, the candle. And spice yeah. down the fragrance, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, like, I, I do studiously avoid vanilla candles. I actually, I really enjoy the scent of a vanilla candle, but whenever vanilla is involved, it always takes center stage. Vanilla is, it steals the spotlight. It's greedy. <laughs> it's the prima donna. If you want any other scent, you just got to get it out of there. And I, th- I think the you're, 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 of candle fragrance. It is. <laughs> you heard it here first. Alonzo Duraldi, <laughs> vanilla is the Ethel Merman of candle fragrances. <laughs> I love the sandalwood and Fraser fur. It's almost like a shipment of Christmas trees got beached or something. I really love that idea. Yeah. Um, and then That's it's weird. unfortunate that the vanilla is there. It almost feels like they're trying to play it safe. I think they should have just gone. Balsam to the wall. Yeah, yes. Excellent. <laughs> I love that. That's sold out. People must like it. As fancy candle fans, I know that in years past, we have recommended the Ralph Lauren holiday. And then I want to say last year or the year before, we recommended uh, DS and Durga's portable Christmas tree, portable yes. Christmas tree. But this year we found one from Diptyque called, pronounce it, S-A-P-I-N. Sapin. Yeah, that's French, right? I guess. For for, for tree. <laughs> and and it has a very subtle piney smell. It's very Christmassy. It is one of their holiday candles. And because it's diptyque. It's a fir tree, actually. It's a fir tree. And because it's diptyque, it costs a little money. <laughs> and so yeah. that's, why don't you give it to someone as a gift? <laughs> that way you can go to their house and smell it too. And you won't have to feel like you splurged on yourself. But you can get like little like votive size. They don't, they don't, you don't have to just get the, the, the big massive yeah. ones. Well, was ever a time to splurge on a luxury candle? It's Christmas. And yeah, yeah that Ralph Lauren candle. Oof, that is. I love, yeah. No, every heart. candle, take notes, listeners, because every Christmas candle Dave and Alonzo recommend is amazing. Mm-hmm. So we trust their word on this, but it's also very bougie. So get your wallets out. Oh, yeah. It's going to hurt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pull out that um, credit card because you're going to spend some money. Like the the, the, word, the French word for candle is bougie for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're in the mood to splurge on a candle, these are the ones. And we are, I don't want to say guilty because that implies a crime has been committed. Our, there are no angels. Uh, we are guilty. We are guilty of luxury. And Andre Leon Talley from Beyond the Grave is smiling at us. I, I love also your hack of giving it to someone else who you'll be in their house a lot so you get to also enjoy it. That's a way you can spend a lot of money but also be thrifty in, in a sneaky way. You can Smart. seem generous. <laughs> There's nothing cozier than just appearing to be generous but to not really be generous. Right. David Alonzo, as always, it is an absolute delight. Unfortunately, I think I hear the sound of our ship coming in. It's time for us all to set sail to Christmas Island. This sounds like a sailboat and a cruise ship all at once. I don't know what kind of vessel we're going to get on. Is it a sleigh? Who knows? I, I just hope that the ice cream bunny is not there. But it's the end of the year, so it might be the Poseidon. <laughs> but where can people keep up with you and your work? There's the Linoleum Knife, your podcast. Alonzo, yes. what book are we on now? You have 50 books. Tell us where uh, to find you next. I, I do have currently it, it's the season for my two Christmas books, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas and I'll Be Home for Christmas Movies, which I co-wrote with the Deck the Hallmark podcast guys. I have a new book coming out in May with Turner Classic Movies and Running Press called Hollywood Pride. And it's a history of LGBTQ plus Hollywood on and off screen. So very excited about that coming out. Dave and I both host the Linoleum Knife podcast, which we've been doing for 13 years now. And it's available on all your favorite podcatchers. And then you can also hear me on the Deck the Hallmark podcast, on Maximum Film, on the Maximum Fun Network. And Christy Lemire and I do a show called Breakfast All Day that you can watch on YouTube or listen to as a podcast. And Linoleum Cast on Instagram and on Blue Sky. And if you want to see our Christmas decorations, we highly recommend that you follow our Instagram account, DXAXTree. 
Yes, it is an incredibly cozy account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be disappointed. And get those books. Alonzo's books are always by my side. I take them out every holiday season to flip mm -hmm. through and get movie recommendations. They're amazing stocking stuffers. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Yeah. And the links to all of those things will be in our show notes. So easy shopping. Just go to our show notes and just click around. Get the full Duraldi collection. <laughs> All right. With a cozy blink of an eye, we've wrapped another season. Thank you to everyone who's listened, participated in our Facebook group and book club, supported our Patreon this year. We can't do it without you. We wish you a magical and relaxing holiday season, and we can't wait to start back fresh in the new year with our seventh annual Cozy Awards. See who will win coziest TV show, coziest book. The, the categories go on. That episode will come out on January 14th. On the topic of the Cozy Awards, when this episode airs, the one you're listening to now, there's still two days left to submit your own nominees. And that form can, can be found on our social media. And that will close on December 19th. And then after we get all of the nominees that you share and that we put in ourselves, we'll create our list of nominees that you can vote on after the holiday season. So be on the lookout on our socials. Make sure you're following us at All Things Cozy Podcast on Facebook and Instagram to make sure that you can participate in the Cozy Awards. And then before we go, we also have an amazing five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, what a last-minute Christmas present. We're so thrilled when we get a written review. So thank you to KL slash TI for their five-star review on Apple Podcasts. They said, it's the real thing. The real, we're the real McCoy, which is <laughs> exciting. And they also wrote, which is really sweet and kind, that we're generally cozy, friendly, and funny, and they love it. <laughs> so thank you for all those extra O's. Puts a lot of pep in our step. And that's how you know they mean it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're recording this on December 5th. And as of now, we have 188 reviews. Just 12 days of Christmas, shy of our goal of 200 before Christmas. So make our wish come true and get us over that hump. It is an arbitrary goal, we know, but life is short. We want to have over 200 reviews on our <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Help us make that a reality before Christmas time. And on that topic, thank you all for listening. We all hope you have a very happy holiday. Merry Christmas. Thank you again, Dave and Alonzo, for joining us. It's a pleasure as always. What a treat. Happy holidays. We love you here every year. Always. Thank you. And until next year, stay cozy. Stay cozy.